What is going on, everybody? Raj Gallardi here, bringing the violence back into your ears on this beautiful, sunny Arizona day. And what better way to enjoy the day than to sit inside and talk about some fights? And, you know, this weekend, we have a sneaky good card, headlined by Alistair Overeem and Alexander Volkov. So let's just get right into the thick of things and break that card down. You know, this is a really, really solid card from top to bottom. Um, the early prelims are stacked with kind of like up-and-comers and, you know, some young prospects, which is kind of uh, the UFC's MO right now. Dude, before, you know, like uh, back in the day, man, UFC cards like for, stacked from all the way from the first fight all the way to the bottom, just names. But, you know, now we're in this place where, um, you know, the, uh, the um, opening fights are all either you know, unknown prospects or guys coming off the regional scene. So always new faces and new names, uh, to look out for. Um, let me bring this card up though real quick. If I can find it in all of the many tabs that I have open here, let's see. Here we go. Already. Awesome. Um, not going to get too deep into the, the early, early prelims. I want to go straight into, um, the headliner on the prelim card, which is Michael Johnson versus Clay Guida. And what a fantastic matchup this is. You got two, you know, two very, very solid vets, both at different places in their career. You know, Clay Guida's had had a roller coaster, been up and down, two different weight classes, just like Michael Johnson. Uh, both guys going between lightweight and uh, featherweight and everything kind of in between. Um, both guys have fought in the best in both divisions. Um, you know, Clay Guida's fought, uh, Dennis Bermudez and, uh, Chad Mendez, Nate Diaz at lightweight, um, Anthony Pettis at lightweight, Diego Sanchez, Michael Johnson's fought, Dustin Poirier, Edson Barboza, uh, Josh Emmett down at, at, uh, Featherweight. I mean, they both have just fought the who's who of both divisions. And, you know, Clay Guida, I think, you know, he's kind of, um, he's kind of in that, like, uh, older vet uh, phase where, you know, he's going to have fun matchups against kind of the older vets and kind of, and look good against, you know, really young prospects. But, you know, once he gets put in there with a, with a solid contender or, you know, guys at the top of the division, you know, he doesn't really, uh, like he'll be competitive, but really doesn't belong there anymore. And Michael Johnson is kind of at a crossroads where, I mean, if you look at his record, um, just in the, like, it's crazy to go this far back, but, the last six years, in the last six years, so if we start from, let's start from the Edson Barboza win, February 22nd of 2015, so that will almost be six years away at this point, but since then, he only has one, that's one win against Barboza, goes on a two-fight losing streak, gets a crazy first-round knockout, only a minute 35 in against the reigning uh, top lightweight, Dustin Poirier, then goes on a three-fight losing streak, drops down to 145, loses to Derek Elkins, picks up a, a, a really, really razor-close win against Andre Feely, and then, you know, kind of has a vet performance against Artem Lobov, who's no longer in the UFC. So in the last six years, only has four wins, only one of those by finish, and then has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight losses. And one, two, three, five of those all being by stoppage. And I love Michael Johnson. He's a great fighter. Um, really, really fun to watch. Has a crazy diverse skill set. But just has really has been having trouble putting it all together. 
And the only thing I can think of is this is some mental stuff. And he's been doing a lot of moving around. He was out in Florida for a while. I think he was with the Black Zillions. And he's done some other, um, was with Black Zillions and then went to Henry Hoof's uh, Hard Knocks when when they split off. Um, But I've been paying attention to his his social media lately. And he's been out here actually in Arizona um, with, uh, with the lab. Uh, doing some work with Sean O'Malley and Benson and, and a lot of those guys uh, out here in the desert. Um, and I think it's he's just trying to find his place. And and probably, too, I mean, I know Florida's pretty wide open and has stayed wide open. But maybe it's just a little bit easier, uh, you know, to get a new uh, to get a new look uh, for training. And, you know, with Arizona being as open as it is, it's probably easier to train out here than it would be anywhere else but you know to me this is do or die like if you can't get past clay guida at this point in his career you know i don't really know how competitive you can be with the rest of the guys um at lightweight in the ufc like this is not not the division where you can go on these four fight skids and you know still be competitive um and and it's just crazy because in like even in these last three fights like look like tiago moises probably butchering his last name but Dude, he was dominating him that first round before getting caught, you know, 25 seconds into the second round with that Achilles lock. Stevie Ray, same thing. Like, that was a majority decision, and I forget. I think it was a point lock. I can't really remember what it was, but he was doing pretty well in that fight too. And then Josh Emmett down at 145. You know, he was giving Josh Emmett everything he could handle before getting caught. And, I mean, we can even go back to his Darren Elkins loss. He was putting it on Darren Elkins before he kind of gassed and ended up getting taken down, and then he gave up his back, and then he got choked out. Justin Gaethje, same thing. Khabib Nurmagomedov, I mean, still to this day, people say, oh, that's the uh, only time Khabib has been hurt was by that left hand that Michael Johnson landed on him. So it's crazy. I mean, he has all of these moments of showing, you know, his actual skill, or showing what he's capable of and having these crazy moments, but then just has these uh, mental glitches almost and uh, gives the fight away. And that's not taking anything from away from his opponents, but it is what it is. And, you know, having mental uh, errors like that late in a fight are, are, you know, are very costly. And fighting a guy like Clay Guida, I mean, Clay Guida's shown time and time again. I mean, he's made a whole career out of, you know, getting beat up early and then coming back late. That that's literally what what his whole career has been. And you know, this is this is definitely going to be a um, a clear sign of what's going to happen with Michael Johnson. And then on the flip side with Clay Guida, let's see here. You know, um, Clay's been kind of up and down. He's coming off of that uh, crazy back and forth fight with uh, Bobby Green, which, you know, I said it then and I'll say it now. Hey, if the rule set, if the the judging criteria was that of even five years ago, Clay Clay Guido would have gotten his hand raised. He did a great job of kind of neutralizing Bobby against the fence and getting late takedowns. But you know, I guess uh, I guess the um, the judging criteria is trying to you know phase away from judging fights like that and base it more on damage, which still kind of could have been up in the air in that fight. But, you know, um, so Clay could be coming off of a win here, but instead he is coming off of a two-fight losing streak, Um, you know, losing to Jim Miller by quick first-round choke all the way back in, uh, in 2019 and then only having the one fight in 2020 with Bobby. So both guys, um, you know, they've been kind of winless, haven't gotten their hand raised in a minute, but both looking to rebound. So this is a perfect matchup. Um, man, I, I really want to pick Michael Johnson here. I, I love Clay Guida. He's one of my favorite fighters of all time. But I think, you know, his time, you know, he's going to be 40. Uh, at the end of this year, he'll be 40 years old. 
And so I think his time has kind of come and gone, but there's still a little bit of time with Michael Johnson only being 34 where he can still kind of rebound and show everybody what he's what he's capable of. But the problem with Michael Johnson is, is he just shows too much in that first round. Like, he really puts his entire game on you in that first round. And once you weather that storm, he just doesn't have anything left. And whether it's a cardio thing, a mental thing, or his opponents just adapt well to his game, it's just, it is what it is. And so... Uh, I expect this fight to kind of be all over the place, standing on the ground. I expect it to be at a, at a kind of a high pace, and I expect Guida to put uh, to put a good pace on him to kind of get Johnson to uh, to tire out. And as much as I want to pick Johnson here, and he could definitely get uh, you know a quick knockout, but I feel like Clay's gonna Clay's gonna choke him out late, uh, either second or third round. Um, but you know we'll see what happens. Um, after that, though, we got on the main card a doozy. This this card has a lot of good lightweight fights on it, but we got um, we got Carlos uh, Ferreira and Benil Dariush rematching, um, and I believe their first fight was back in 2014. So their careers have uh, come full circle back into each other, and both guys they've had great wins, great losses, or big losses, uh, but both are, are are really in their stride right now. Uh, Benil Darius is on a five-fight winning streak. Carlos uh, uh, Carlos is on a six-fight winning streak. And uh, Benil Darius is coming off of a solid spinning back fist knockout against Scott uh, Holtzman. And uh, Diego has had a little bit of a layoff. He has over a year off, uh, obviously because of COVID. But coming off of a great win over Anthony Pettis, which, man, he just put it on him. So both guys, uh, Benil Darius won in their original fight, unanimous decision, kind of, um, I think he was just a step ahead in everything, um, was landing great body kicks, great strikes, and then was getting the necessary takedowns and had really good top control, but both guys have improved a lot, um, you know, coming full circle here, and I expect this to be a crazy, crazy lightweight war. I'm surprised this is not higher up on the um, on the card, but I guess they kind of want to start this off with a bang. And, you know, whoever wins here is definitely going to be top five in the division. Well, maybe not top five, but but right outside the top five of the division and is going to guarantee them a solid, solid next contender fight. Um, but, but it, again, expect this fight to be everywhere. Um, you know, this is definitely kind of the dark horse fight on this card. And, um, man, I, I'm super excited for it. Um, and, and both guys can finish each other anywhere. Uh, both guys got great striking. Their power's coming. Uh, I think with the development of their striking, their power's been coming with it. So they're deadly there. And then on the floor, obviously, both these guys are decorated grapplers. I think Fajeta being a little bit more on the jiu-jitsu side, and then uh, Darius a little more, maybe more with the with the better wrestling. But still, be ready for these guys to take it anywhere. And I would and honestly, this is the the pace on this one. It's probably going to be pretty high. So having uh, the the Clay Guida and this fight back to back, you know the rest of the card's gonna have to take note. It's gonna take a lot um, to kind of follow in their footsteps there. Next up, we got uh, Cody Staman taking on Askar Askar, and no, I didn't stutter. His first name is his last name. Uh, kind of like a Ricky Bobby situation here with the with the dual uh, first names. Um, don't really know what, what that, what that comes from, but yeah, got first name is the same as last name. Um, I think he's coming off of the LFA. He's taken, uh, Askar Askar has taken this off of a short notice. Cody Staman was supposed to fight. Oh, what's his name? What's his name? This is going to bug me. Let me find out real quick. 
Oh, what's his name? Oh, this is going to be me. Oh, yeah, Andre Ewell. That's right. Um, and Andre Ewell is a, 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 an awesome up-and-comer, and that would have been a great fight at featherweight. But, you know, um, Cody wants to stay active, so he takes this fight on short notice. Um, you know, both guys, I think Askar Askar is coming up from 135-2, which where Cody originally made uh, most of his work in the UFC before moving up to 145, which, man, that dude's such a big 145-er. I don't know how he ever made 135 uh, it's pretty crazy, but I kind of expect Cody to kind of continue his uh, his rise here at 145. Uh, I know he had a short little setback against, um, oh, what's his name? I want to say Robbie Rivera, but uh, that's a DJ. Oh, no, no, Jimmy Rivera, that's right. And, you know, Jimmy Rivera is definitely kind of that placeholder at 145. You know, if you can get past him, you're ready for the top guys. But, you know, if you're not quite there yet, he's going to kind of make you look stupid. And, you know, it was just a, a, a typical Jimmy Rivera uh, performance, just light on his feet, in and out, didn't really give Cody any good looks, and, you know, just kind of, uh, not put a clinic, but uh, definitely put a, a typical Jimmy Rivera performance on Cody. So I, I'm looking for Cody to rebound pretty nicely here. Uh, in the next uh, in the next fight, we got uh, Alexandre, we got Alex Pantoja taking on Manuel Cape, with Manuel Cape making his um, uh, UFC debut and, you know, a lot of us hardcores here have been waiting for Manuel Cape's uh, UFC debut. Uh, he's coming in off of Risen, had great fights in Risen. Oh, I think he, I want to say he fought Horiguchi. He's got a, a quick knockout win over Ian McCall. Um, let me see here. Because, yeah, no, Manuel Cape had a crazy, crazy career over in, uh, or stint in, in Risen. Uh, yeah, so we, um, let's see here. Yeah, he lost to Yamamuchi, Horiguchi, but that was a great fight. And off of that, uh, he beat Ian McCall. Oh, it was a it was a, a doctor stoppage over Ian McCall. But I want to say he hurt Ian, and I forget what happened, but it, that was relatively quick. Had a crazy fight with uh, Kai Asakura, who is kind of on top of Risen over there. Has his own has his own uh, you know drama and trilogy going on with Horiguchi right now. Um, has a win over Takeo Mizugaki, um, and then ended up getting a quick, uh, or not a quick knockout, but ended up getting a knockout over Kai Asukara in his last fight, um, going into the new year of 2020, um, so yeah, really, really exciting stuff, and then Pantoja is kind of, um, you know, the, the UFC's, uh, kind of, like, entry-level, uh, a flyweight, um, for 125, like, you know, anytime they have a, a new guy come in, they kind of set him up with Pantoja, uh, to see kind of where he fits in the division, and Pantoja's no, uh, no, uh, no slouch, I mean, he's a vet, like, I mean, he's fought in Neil Siri. he's got a loss to Dustin Ortiz by decision, he's got a win over Brandon Marino, who's at the top of the division right now, um, has a, a finish, a quick TKO finish over Wilson Hayes, um, has the loss to the current champ, uh, Davidson Figueredo. Um, but you know, really like this is a great, uh, matchup to see where Manuel Cape fits in the division. And, and this is no slouch for Pantoja. If Tamtoja can beat Cape here, it throws him right back up to the short list of 125 pound contenders. Uh, so really excited for that. Both guys, uh, should be putting on a really good fight there. Um, after that, uh, we were supposed to get Marlon Renew versus, uh, Macy, 
but I believe Marion got uh, stuck with COVID, so they're rescheduling that. So we'll break that fight down at a later date. But then we got this sneaky, sneaky, sneaky good co-main event with Corey Sanhagen taking on Frankie Edgar. Now, this is really kind of a... Um, you know, a battle of, uh, you know, the young gun versus the, you know, the old vet. Um, crazy match. I mean, this is kind of what the UFC does. They, you know, they set their their old, um, you know, their old names versus their uh, young up-and-coming prospects. And, you know, really, you know, the UFC always buys into this, like, uh, to, build a, to build the next star, they got to kind of take out the old star. And that's kind of what you're seeing here. And at the same time, this really is uh, a great fight for Edgar because if he can beat a guy like Corey, you know, it throws him right at the top of 135. And if he really wants to be that that dual that dual champion uh, or get that second belt um, at a different weight class, like he, there's no quicker road than to beat in Corey. You know, Corey's coming off of that crazy spinning wheel kick knockout over Marlon Moraes. And that was just, that was a great fight. And Corey really got to show what he's capable of after that, you know, quick um, loss to Algermain, which really set him back. But when you have a great fight like that, it kind of erases that and puts him right back up at the top. Um, stylistically, though, this is this is really bad for Frankie. I mean, Corey's tall, lanky. It's going to be hard for Frankie to get inside. Um, you know, and I feel like, Frankie's gonna really have to be looking for the takedown here, but that's so hard because Corey's got great takedown defense, and off of his back, he's no slouch either. Um, and you know, with and, and you know, Frankie, oh, I don't, I don't think he's from, I don't think he's from this. He's, I want to say he, no, 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 he is at the same camp. He is with Mark Henry, uh, or Algermain is with Mark Henry and all those guys with uh, with Frankie Edgar. Um, all right, I think they're 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 all part of that tri-state area. I can't remember if if Algermain is specifically with Longo or if he goes with Mark too or with uh with Mark Henry as well. But anyways, I'm I'm sure they've all trained with each other. But you know, Aljo didn't really. I mean, he choked out Corey relatively quick, so I don't know how much um he could show Frankie if they got any training uh, together for this fight. But or if they're even trying to do that, since they could be competitors later down the road. Um, but this is a tough fight for Frankie. Um, but if he can get it done, um, you know, it shoots him right up there and it'll probably get a title shot just based off of his name. If not, have to fight one more time. Um, but look again, look at this to be a very, very high paced fight. Look at Frankie constantly coming in with his different angles, different combinations. And, you know, I'm sure Corey's going to want to stay on the outside. And if he can, he's probably going to want to look to get on top because Corey on top is super, super heavy. Um, and kind of can win the fight anywhere here. Um, be and watch out for Corey's kicks. Corey's kicks on the outside are going to be devastating. Um, so really excited for that fight. And then in the main event, we got Overeem taking on Alexander Volkov. And again, both of these guys are in some interesting places here. You know, Overeem keeps talking about how this is his uh, his final run at the heavyweight uh, for the heavyweight strap. You know, him being I want to say over forty years old now. Let's see, I think he's forty one. No, he's 40, um, and in May, he'll be 41, so, you know, he's definitely, it's crazy, man, I, I can still remember when Alistar was the, was the young gun coming up at 205, and, you know, he still was the young guy even at heavyweight, but here we are where he's 40, and now, I mean, just a, just a plethora of experience in combat sports everywhere, grappling, kickboxing, MMA, everywhere i mean just it's insane how much uh how much combat experience this guy has 
And I mean, I don't know what his future is going to hold after he's done fighting, but man, if he be if he decides to become a coach or open up a gym or something, watch out for those guys because this dude has a wealth of knowledge in every aspect of this game. But you know, if uh, if he really does want to go for another uh, another title shot here, I guess you know you got to get through a guy like Volkov. And um, you know what's interesting about Alistar right now is. You know he he's beaten he's beating all of these these young prospect guys, but against you know against the 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 proven contenders and against the top contenders, you know he keeps falling short. I mean look, look at okay look his last two fights, Augusto Sakai was in a little bit of trouble in there, but vetted it out, got the takedown, and um, you know got the ground and pound finish from on top uh, early into the the fifth round. Um, Walt Harris, you know got again was in a little bit of trouble there, but got the takedown and finished on top was four seconds away from beating Rosenstruck, but you know got clipped at the end there and there's a question about that that stoppage but you know had the busted lip and then before that beat Olenek again ground and pound or I think he hit him with a knee and then finished up with some ground and pound before that uh you know knocked out survey Sergey Palpovich Palpovich but um again another young top contender so it's like, but then before that, you know, he loses to Curtis and he loses to Francis. So it's like these real top contenders he has trouble with, but then the everybody else he kind of seems to to vet through, even though he shows signs of weakness. And uh, it's just tough, man, because he he keeps evolving his style, but I still feel like, man, if like his top game is some of the best in the world, and his ground and pound is probably the best in the division. I mean, him and Stipe have some of the best ground and pound, but Overeems is just so much more devastating. And it was evident in his last two fights against Walt Harris and Sakai. And I just really feel like his whole game should be clinch against the fence, get a takedown, and ground and pound. And if the ground and pound is not available, you have the or if, if you know if you can't finish with the ground and pound, have the ground and pound open up uh, some submissions because the submission game is right up there too. But I've been saying this for for years. I mean, I've been saying this since 2013. Um, you know, after his losses to Antonio Silva and Travis Brown, you know, he rebounded with a win over Frank Mir and just beat Frank Mir up on the ground, got, got good takedowns, um, got on top. Um, but then, you know, and then, and then, you know, falls against Ben Rothman on his next fight, but then his next fight, he, he fights Stefan Struve again, gets a takedown and then just pounds Stefan Struve's face in against the cage to get a knockout in the first round. And I just don't understand why that hasn't really been like his focus. Instead, he kind of sits on the outside. He waits to take punishment. He pushes guys up against the fence. And he kind of tries to do his damage there. But, man, if if he worked on his – and, I mean, he's 40 years old. So trying to teach an old dog new tricks at this point, it's, it's more about refining, you know, the skills you have now. But I always thought, man, dude, if, if he just focused on getting on top and just pounding guys in, this guy probably would be a champ right now. Um. But it's just going to be hard for him because, I mean, like, what are you going to do? I mean, eventually you're going to have to fight a guy like Curtis Blades again who, you know, beat his face in with ground and pound. And I know there's some there's some, um, there's some some controversy there with uh, with Alistair. I think he blew out his knee or, he, you know, he had an injured knee or something like that going in. Or it could have even just been been from Curtis hurting it. But, um, but give or take, you're going to have to fight like that. You're going to have to fight a guy like that at some point or a guy like Francis um, and I just don't know where, where, where he stacks. And then, um, and then on the flip side, um, 
and then two, uh, actually, before we get to that, I mean, that game plan of, of uh, you know, getting the takedown, Volkov has shown that, you know, he's got improved takedown defense, but he's still susceptible to it. Uh, and Curtis Blades kind of kind of put that out there for him, um, taking him down over and over and over and over again over that five-round fight. So Overeem does have openings to do that. And on the flip side for, for Volkov, he really needs to keep this fight at distance. Overeem does not have the chin that he used to have. And he's shown that, you know, he kind of does get desperate by leaving his hands open and leaving his chin out to get hit, um, trying to make those entries. So if, if you know, Volkov's just got to stay on the outside and pick his shots. And he can't get reckless because as soon as that clinch gets broken, Overeem is amazing against the fence. His clinch, shot, his clinch striking is unbelievable with his elbows, especially his knees. And he's really crafty with his takedowns from there. So, you know, Volkov is going to have to be wary of the, you know, the double black line. He's got to keep his back off the fence. And he's really got to pick his shots on the outside. And so, to me, this ends one of two ways. This either ends with Volkov clipping Overeem from distance, getting getting the finish. Or this ends with Overeem on top, just beating Volkov down um, with nasty, nasty ground and pound. Kind of rooting for Overeem here. I've been a fan of Overeem ever, you know, for a long time, ever since I was a kid in middle school. Uh, so I always root for Overeem. I mean, even when he was going up against Walt Harris with Walt, you know, coming off the, you know, the tragedy of a stepdaughter and all that, I was still rooting for Overeem. I, I love watching Overeem fight. Um, and I've always thought, like, I mean, and a lot of it is his own undoing with, with the choices he made with, um, you know, what he puts into his body and how he fights. But I just always feel like he never gets his due. Um, so, yeah, I hope, uh, I think this is a crazy good card. I can't wait to see what happens. Um, I'm really looking forward to all the fights here. Um, but let's just see. I want to see something real quick. Let's see. Let's see what the odds are. Let's see if there's any money to be made here. A lot of these are kind of scary bets, but let's just see. I'm going, I'm on uh, bovada.lv. It's a Las Vegas sports book, but let's see if there's any money to be made here. Oh, you got over him at a, a plus 160. Almost Volkov's almost a two to one favorite. Some good money there. Uh, everything's single bet right now. There might be some better odds closer to the fight with prop bets, with who gets a finish and stuff like that. If you can snag a, a finish inside the distance for either guy, I would probably bet on that. Um, ooh, Corey Sandhagen, a four to one favorite against Frankie. Um, yeah, I don't think there's much value there. Um, hey, you know what? Here's a good one. Manuel Cape, plus 105. If you can parlay uh, Cape and Overeem, even Sanhagen in there. That's a good that's a good parlay. Um Darius and Fajeda are are neck and neck. Uh minus one ten for Darius, minus one twenty for Fajeda. I actually really agree with those. Ooh, here's another good one. Michael Johnson, minus two twenty five against Clay Guida. I um Clay Guida's almost a two to one underdog at plus one seventy five. If you guys are betting guys, I would definitely I, I might go Clay Guida, Manuel Cape, and Overeem here. Um Again, a lot has to go right uh, uh, for those guys to win. But if you guys like have a little bit of money to play with, that's definitely something to look at. Um, ooh, all right, I might spend some money. I shouldn't have looked at this. Um, but yeah, so definitely, if you're looking to make some money, I'd go Clay Guida, Manuel Cape, and Overeem, and a mix of those. You could even leave one out if you want and just double parlay it. But that, that's a uh, that's some good odds. Um, I mean, especially with the vulnerabilities of Volkov. And his vulnerabilities kind of being Overeem's strengths. Uh, same thing with Manuel Cape against Pantoja. 
Um, there's some good value there. And then obviously Clay Guida can make that a really, really rough fight for Michael Johnson. So Michael Johnson or uh, Clay Guida, Manuel Cape, Alistair Overing for for a good, nice little parlay. Alrighty, so let's move on to some uh, some kind of current events uh, going on in the game right now. Let's see what we got. So, you know, I've been kind of getting pissed off here because um, anytime, you know, there's a high level or a, um, what would be the correct word? A uh, Here, hold on one second, guys. I'm just going to shut my window. I just realized I have my window open and there's some kids playing in the front yard. Sorry about that, guys. Um, but, you know, whenever there's a high-profile fight is what I should say. Whenever there's a high-profile fight, you know, you get a lot of, uh, you get a lot of opinions. You get a lot of, um, a lot of perspectives that don't really have anything to do with the sport, right? I mean, when you have a Conor fight, you're going to get the rounds on your, on your uh, mainstream media, which for hardcore fan, fight fans, it's just ridiculous. The bullshit that you fucking – that you have to take – and these, these hot takes, quote-unquote, that are just so off-base and just so, like, you couldn't be more disconnected from reality and from what actually goes on in the fight game. And it just sucks because you gotta you have to sit up here and you got to listen to Stephen A. Smith and you got to listen to Max Kellerman. And I, and I love both guys. I love Stephen A. Smith when he's talking about football and basketball. I love Max Kellerman when he's talking about boxing. But both guys couldn't be farther, farther out of the loop when it comes to actual MMA. And when it comes to when it comes to these fights, I mean the bullshit that they spew, it's like I don't know why people get upset over what they say because it's so far disconnected, and it's not their fault because it's their job. You know they got to line up, they have to talk about these things. They don't have the time. I mean these guys are grown men. They got families. They have they have other things that they put priorities into. They're not gonna go learn mixed martial arts. You know there's so much to there's so much to take in and so much to learn. Like unless you've been a fan for a really long time, like you have a lot of catching up to do. And, you know, it's just not, it's really not in their, um, they have no incentive to, to really, you know, gain any more knowledge on the sport. Like, it's it's really not in their favor to. Um, they can get by saying all of their outlander stuff. People buy it. Mainstream, and, and, and for the same thing, it's like the people turning into Sports Center to hear MMA news. Like, no, no one is turning into ESPN to get MMA news. Like, if you're an MMA fan, like, you know where to go. You know which YouTube channels to go to. You know what websites to go to. No one's turning in, tuning into Sports Center to hear what's going on, which isn't the case with other sports. So I, I, you know, I, I totally get it. So these people getting upset over Stephen A. Smith saying, "Oh, you know, I don't like seeing, you know, women fight in MMA." Who like when you people getting pissed off? Who the fuck cares? And who the fuck cares what he like? That's his. That's his perspective. I don't want like watching the WNBA. I don't. I don't want to watch the women's football lingerie league. You know, as appealing as that might be to a male audience. But you know, I. I. You know, there's there's plenty of women's sports. I don't give a shit about. Like, why do you care what he thinks? But we, man, MMA fans, we get all huffy and puffy anytime somebody puts down our sport in any which way. But you know, on the flip side too, it's like there's a lot of people in MMA that don't like watching uh, female fight sport or. Um, female fighting and to be honest I don't really like watching the female fights unless it's super high level um you know unless it's like high level at 115 you know like 125 is kind of a joke unless it's at the very high level and 135 is a fucking mess right now it's really hard to watch anything at 135 unless Amanda Nunes is fighting so and you know same thing at 145 so it's you know like there's a couple big there's a couple big stars 
um, or, you know, great, great females to watch. But other than that, like, you know, a lot of it, it's like kind of like watching MMA from like 15 years ago. It's just, you know, it's not where the rest of the sport's at. So I, I don't blame him. And he's also an older guy coming from a different generation. You know, what are you supposed to do? I mean, even Fedor is like, I don't like watching women in MMA. Khabib, I don't like watching women in MMA. And yeah, they come from a different part of the world where they still believe that, you know, women have their place in life. But, you know, what are you going to do? You can't really get upset at them. And I hate how we got to attack people just because they have the different perce- perception just because they think they're, you know, our sport's getting disrespected. Who fucking cares? Who fucking... I mean, Dana White didn't even want uh, women in, in MMA until, you know, five years ago until Ronda got big and he could make money off of them. So why are you fucking people getting all worked up over bullshit? It's really ridiculous. Where you guys should be getting upset is when the mainstream... When, the, when they, you know... When their perception of a fight is completely off base and they start pushing narratives that are, are, com- are so off base. And what I mean by that is look at the, look at the, um, look at the, uh, the, uh, the aftermath of Connor versus Dustin. Has Dustin got any praise here? And I know he's gone on a tangent about this, but this, this specifically has been pissing me off because not only has this been throughout mainstream sports, but it's even bleeding into our community itself. But this notion that Connor was not himself and the layoff affected him and Dustin got him on a good night and all this bullshit is completely off base. And, you know, I went into it. I went into it in my, in my, um, in my original reaction to, to Connor versus Dustin. But Dustin, I'm just going to say it one more time. Dustin Poirier systematically broke down, diminished, and then ended up finishing Conor McGregor. I don't care if Conor McGregor was coming off of five fights, one fight, year off, six months off, Dustin Poirier was going to walk out the winner in that night. He was posed, he was prepared, and he had the game plan to really, really set in on Connor. That's the end of it. There's no other discussion. I don't care what you have to say. Dustin took him down, put his hands on him, kicked his leg, and completely broke him apart. That's it. So this notion that Connor wasn't the same is complete cockery, as I like to say, and there's no there, there there's nothing else to say about it, absolutely nothing else to say about it. So I mean, it's it's just crazy. But that's what happens when you have uh when you know when you have such a high profile like Connor. It's never it's never about the other guy. It's still always about you, and and it sucks because for Dustin and I know again he he was talking about this, but let's break it down a little bit. That dude never gets his due. And it's just because he's had these shortcomings and he's looked vulnerable in his fights, even the ones he's win, won. You know, like Dan Hooker, you know, was getting beat up early, but then guts it out. You know, um, in the Connor fight, got clipped. Um, has the loss to Michael John. You know, Dustin or um, Justin Gaethje was beating up his leg and Justin looked good early in that fight before getting finished. All you know, even had moments against Holloway where he wasn't looking the best. And even after that fight, okay, let's look at all of his wins. Let's bring up Dustin real quick. And I'll tell you all of the bullshit that gets spewed after he wins. Let's see. Dustin. Yeah. Let's take a look here. Uh okay. Beats Pettis, but Pettis is over the hill. Then fights Justin Gaethje. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Oh, well, you know, at the time they were saying, oh, well, clearly 
you know, Gaethje is a two-round fighter and, you know, can't get over his reckless ability in order to uh, to finish the fight. And if they fought now, Justin would probably win because he's refined his, uh, re- refined his game. Beats Then, uh, you know, rematches Eddie and beats him, but had his moments in there where it looked like Eddie was going to win. I think Eddie, you know, took him down, landed an illegal knee, got reset, and then Dustin ended up getting the finish. Then goes up against Max Holloway for the interim belt. What did it and you know everybody was picking Holloway going into that fight. Dustin was a huge underdog, huge underdog going into that fight. Everybody was picking Max Holloway. And then what did everyone say after Dustin won? Oh well, I guess that goes to show you that Max is at the right weight class at 145. Dustin looked way bigger. Max looks too small for 155. Then he goes in against Khabib. Obviously, you know he had his moments in that fight with that guillotine, but ultimately gets choked out just like everybody else in that fight rebounds against Dan Hooker again I just stated you know got beat up early but then ends up um you know having the vet performance then obviously beats Connor here so in all of those fights everyone always would say oh well you know Dustin won but of this oh but this oh but this oh but that oh but his opponent this opponent that shut the fuck up please somebody give this man his due Give this man his due. And you know what the thing is? is That's why he's coming out here and saying, I don't want to fight Oliveira. I don't want to fight Chandler. I want a big fight. Because this guy doesn't get his due. This guy's fought everybody. This guy's fought every name in the game. He's freaking just crawled and crawled and crawled. And he gets kicked back down. And then he crawls back up. That is what this... Dustin Poirier is what makes this sport great. What makes the this is he is the he is the the poster boy for why I love this why I love this game because even though you lose even though you get knocked down you can always make your way back up to the top and you know it's supposed to it it's supposed to make you know it's supposed to it's supposed to make life fair for a guy like Dustin who has to crawl all the way to the top but you know we're getting to a point in this game where we're just freaking you know. They're just throwing high profile after high profile after high profile. But you know what? Dustin said, fuck you. I'm just going to keep being every guy that you put in front of me. And now that he is finally at the spot where he doesn't have to do that anymore. I mean, come on, guys. Like, look. Look what happened to Nate after he beat Connor. He was like, all right, cool. I finally have enough profile to where I don't have to take every fight that you guys fucking give me. I don't have to crawl anymore. Dustin's that way. Every guy gets to a certain point when they eclipse a certain profile, when they eclipse a certain level, that they're like, hey, I'm not doing this bullshit anymore. Well, you just throw me tough guy after tough guy after tough guy with no break. So let Dustin, let Dustin pick his spots now. Let Dustin pick his opponents. Let Dustin tell you where he's at. And stop fucking short sighting this guy. Stop it. He doesn't deserve it. And he definitely doesn't deserve your bullshit. So if you're on this notion that, oh, Connor wasn't on, oh, Connor had an off night, or, ah, la, 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 shut the fuck up. I don't want to hear that bullshit anymore. Oh, man, now I'm all worked up. I need a minute. But that kind of brings us, uh, that kind of brings me to my next point, which is, you know, there's a, there's, you know, um, the fight with Connor and and uh, between Dustin and Connor and uh, Mike Chandler and um, and Dustin Hooker, you know those two fights were supposed to uh, bring some clarity into the division, but you know we're here what two three weeks removed and it's still a mess and it's just as hazy as it was and uh, as it was before and I couldn't tell you what the fuck is gonna happen. 
I mean, Dustin saying he doesn't want to fight Oliveira or Chandler, which were probably the next two contenders. Um, Nate threw his ha- uh, name back into the hat. Connor's calling for a trilogy fight with Dustin. Uh, Tony's chippering away at everybody. Oliveira's chippering at Dustin. And so it's just so overwhelming how crazy deep this division is. And, and all of this unclarity really goes to show you how fucking stacked this division is. I mean, you don't have this problem at any other division. Uh, I mean, you might have it a little bit at welterweight and maybe a little bit at, at middleweight, but not like this. This is insane. I mean, we're going all the way down to what, like seven and eight in, in the top in the top 10. I mean, that's how much of a clusterfuck it is right now. And it doesn't help. Um, there's just really no better division than lightweight, man. And it, and it makes me excited, but at the same time, it's like, like it almost gives me anxiety because it's like, man, did, like the belt's only been defended a few times, um, and I'm just really hoping it gets back on track here. But the problem is, is the other side to this whole mess is that all of a sudden we got these, uh, we got these rumblings of uh, Khabib versus GSP, and now this time it's not coming from any outside source, but it's coming from the inside. It's coming from Kenny Florian and, um. And uh, GSP's longtime trainer, Faraz Ahabi. And, you know, really, I, I really hate these hypothetical talking points because that's all these rumors ever are. When it's ever these high-level or high-profile fights, they're, they're just hypothetical talking points for people in the industry and in the community to have something to talk about on their shows. And that's all it ever is. And it's, like, exhausting to hear. It's exhausting to talk about because who fucking cares unless it actually happens, Right. But that's what's different with this one. It's just, I mean, um, it's just crazy. Because, I mean, GSP is turning 40 this year. And if this fight were to happen, it would probably happen around November. Let's just say it happens this year. It would happen around November. And that would mark four years since GSP fought. And that's fucking crazy. Because it still kind of feels like yesterday that, um, or it feels like, you know, relatively soon that, you know, he came back and fought uh, Michael Bisbing. But in November, will mark four years since that fight happened. And, you know, even though we've had some solid fights from Khabib the last few years, they're kind of far and in between. Um, you know, I almost feel shorted with Khabib because let's, let's look at Khabib real quick. Let's look at Khabib. Let's just break this down real quick. Let me see here. So, in the last three years, every fall he has a fight defending his belt. So he fights. He fights uh, Ally Quinta, um, April of 2018. That October gets the Connor fight. Then because of the suspension and all that bullshit, comes back to fight Dustin September of 2019. Then because of like COVID and Tony and all that shit, has to wait another year before fighting Justin Gaethje. So within the last three years, he's only had a few fights, and then before that, you know. Pretty much uh, in 2014, he fought RDA. Then he was off for the two years. Came back to fight Horcher, Barbo, uh, Michael Johnson, um, and then was off for a year again before coming back to fight Barboza. And that's kind of what started the whole, you know, from here on out. But you know, really, like we haven't really seen Khabib all that much, and so I feel like for a guy his stature, it's just like we really, I, I feel shorted. Um, and I know he's had all this wealth of experience and. Um, you know, he's had a long career in combat sports and I definitely don't, I definitely don't hold anything against him for wanting out, but there'll always be hypothetical matchups that, 
you know, that people come up with that will lead to his demise. Not, not in reality, but, you know, like, oh, is, you know, Eddie Alvarez just came out and said, oh, you know, I I'm the one who gives uh, Khabib a really bad matchup. And maybe he is the one. He does have the defensive wrestling, and he does have the power on the feet to maybe give him um, some problems. Michael Chandler, same. he's in the same exact boat as Eddie. But, again, these are all hypothetical matchups until they get in there with him. And I said the same thing about Justin Gaethje, and he made just, I mean, even though he got leg kicked against Justin and got hit a little bit, he made fucking Justin Gaethje look like an amateur on the floor. Um, so it's just a testament to his greatness, and I mean, we did the same things with GSP and Anderson Silva back in the day, and even Fedor, when they were coming up, it's, you know, they beat one guy, and all of a sudden, oh, maybe this is the guy, or this is the guy, no, this is the guy, and so, again, it's just a testament to his greatness, but... I just feel like, you know, um, you know, with GSP and Ander er, I guess Anderson, you know, he got he got his his uh, legacy taken from him in a way. Uh, same thing with Fedor, but with with GSP, it was you know he he left on his own, but he also you know that Johnny Hendricks fight, he looked like shit. And who's to say if he would have had one more fight after that, he would have erased that. Whether he would have rematched Johnny and maybe he would have came into there more motivated. And I don't, I hate saying stuff like that, but maybe he would, he would have came in with a better game plan or whatever, and and you know really took it to Johnny, um, and then kind of erased all of the all of the thoughts um, with that last fight with him. But you know it was kind of looking like he was uh, on his way out. But we don't have that with Khabib, and so it's like you, you don't. I, you know, fight fans were um, were selfish in that regard. We want to see, we want to see the most out of these top guys until they just don't have it anymore. But for Gabib, who gives a shit? You know, th this is more about his legacy. Um, you know, we, you know, we want to see Khabib strive until he finally gets dominated and not caught, but dominated. Because we'll always find excuses. You know, if somebody were to go in there and flash KM, we'll always be like, oh well. That those stupid notions like oh if he didn't get caught you know he'd still be, he would have dominated that fight but um, I just can't help but feel for Khabib it's like you know it's kind of like um, reading a you know like some big fictional epic book and then you know the book getting lost and you not being able to finish the book um, that's kind of how I feel for him but you know again for him it's just all about cementing his legacy um, and so that's just kind of that's just kind of how I feel with that one. Um, but you know, it's just like, uh, you know, I'm just thinking about the division right now and it's like, we have endless matchups, you know, outside of Khabib, let's just say Khabib retires, but it's like, you know, what do we do with the division? Um, you know, we could do, I think uh, everyone's calling for Tony and Connor, but you know, you could do Connor versus Dustin, which I don't really want to see. I think Dustin, Dustin proved that he's better than him at this point. And one, one fight that nobody's really talking about that I think you could easily do right now, which is not really in Connor's favor, but man, Connor versus RDA, you finally run that one back. They were supposed to fight originally at 196 for the lightweight belt when RDA was the champ. It was originally supposed to be the champ champ fight. Um, but you know, uh, RDA broke his hand, forced him out. Diaz comes in. Yada, 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 RDA ends up losing to Alvarez, and we know the history from there. But then they were also supposed to fight for the interim welterweight belt at you, whenever RDA fought, I think, Colby originally. So, you know, they have a lot of history, um, and RDA just poses. And, and, and RDA is one of those guys, if you get over RDA, like, you're right back up there. And I really think that would elevate Connor back up into a title fight or a rematch with Dustin after he beats RDA, if he were to beat RDA. But then on the flip side, RDA 
has shown, man, his calf kicks are insane. He's got great grappling, and he definitely has the game that could fuck with Connor big time. So I'd still want to see that fight. But then now you got Nate throwing his hat in there. So, I mean, you could do Nate Connor 3. You could do Nate versus Tony. You could do Nate versus... I mean, Nate is the caveat here, which you could... You could do Nate Justin. You could throw Nate in there with any of these guys, and it's a big high-level fight. And, um, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, Nate doesn't deserve it against Dustin. I I don't give a fuck. Again, I've already talked about this. Nate has already put in the work. You could throw Nate in there with anybody, 170 or 155, and I'm tuning in. I don't care if it's for a belt or not. And don't give me this. He doesn't deserve this bullshit because, again, that dude has put in the work. Maybe not as of late, but, dude, go look at his whole go look at his whole career coming up. I mean, we were just praising. I was just praising Dustin for the same thing. That guy fought everybody, everybody. Three weeks notice, two weeks notice, injured, not injured, full camp, doesn't matter. He fought everybody. Um, and, I, and, you know, uh, I think Luke Thomas was talking about it where – you know, if uh, if they were to do uh, Nate Diaz versus Dustin Poirier and Nate were to come up on there and finally, you know, win a UFC belt for the Diaz brothers, that would just be amazing. What a moment that would be. And those are the kind of moments that, like, I really tune in for. Like, yeah, like, there, there's, you know, really great fights. And, you know, after after the fact, you know, after it's been, like, a, a good brawl or anything like that, it's like, yeah, you got some energy. But this fight or this this sport for me is really made up on those really really special moments that are kind of far and in between. You know, moments like when Nate choked out Connor and it's like the whole world just got turned upside down, or you know when Fedor got choked out by Verdue, or you know there's just the or Holly Holm knocks out Ronda. Not not so much these you know big upsets, but just crazy moments um, that kind of feel larger than life almost and. You know, that would definitely be one of them. If Nate could finally get the belt, you couldn't help but be happy. Um, So, yeah, it's just, uh, you know, lightweight right now is just on fire. I mean, you could do a whole, you could do a 13-fight card all lightweights, and it would be the best fight card of all time. Um, Shit, I think that's all I wanted to get into today. So, shit, you know, turn into ESPN Plus on Saturday at 3 p.m. for the prelims, 6 p.m. for the main card, and make sure you turn into next week's Call to Violence to for me to listen to me recap all the madness that takes place. But until then, I'm Raj Gallardi, and this is me signing off. Peace.